And here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning, we are going to read perhaps one of the greatest verses in Scripture. Uh, just a, an incredible and exalted verse. And really everything is going to pretty much play off of that. Um, it, is, it is a fundamental truth uh, there. And so we will anchor in and on this. Uh, it's weird. We're just, you know, here I, I would pull out my, this thing to silence it to make sure it doesn't make noise. But most people anymore are pulling it out to get into their Bibles. So... so uh, Ty, would you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 here? Verse 4. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall Boom. Love that, that, just four. Just four. I mean, this, this, I mean, just verse 4, you could preach sermons on verse 4. Um, extraordinary. And... The very first word in the verse exhorts us to what? Yeah. I've been talking to you for five chapters already. And so I really want to make a point here. And so do I have your attention what Moses is saying. He's calling out to, again, the next generation. You know, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but they are. They are the next generation here because the first generation failed miserably, uh, as we were aware. So they are commanded to listen. Um, Christ in the New Testament, if he wants to get your attention, what's what what are they what happens in the New Testament? There... Yeah, truly, truly, verily, verily. Uh, I say, hey, like tune in. Okay. We we would italicize it or bold print it. So listen uh, to this point. What gets what gets in the way of our listening? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. 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 I think sometimes we're like caught up in our own thoughts and so we can't listen. And then that, I mean, we're distracted by other things and we can't listen. Has anybody ever listened to a sermon just wrapped purely, completely attentive the whole time? Maybe. Probably. Probably. You know, maybe. But more often than not, it's all of a sudden. Squirrel. Whoa. You know, and you're coming back and whoa, whoa. Yeah. or something the, the preacher pastor will say will make you start thinking of something else, another application. And all that, all, that's not necessarily bad, but let's bring our attention back. Emma, what did you say gets in our way? I'm out. Oh, yeah. We're trying to talk over. You know, that's, okay, here I was teaching, and so I'm blathering a lot, but I like to ask questions because I want to hear how God has impressed you with his word as well, because it's important for us to have conversation. <coughs> how 
is God working on you in and through that verse? What do you hear him say? Uh, and it's not like, oh, how do you read it? No, it's how does God intend it? And, you know, are you hearing his voice say what he is intending for us to say? So here, Israel, here, listen. Us, Christians, listen. The next, hero Israel. Okay, we'll, t- we'll talk about the nation here in just a minute. Uh, the Lord. The Lord. How is the type different in your Bible? It's all caps, which means Yahweh. Yahweh, exactly. No vowels. Originally. Okay, no vowel markings. The vowel markings came later. So that's what they have. Uh, scholars will refer to this as the tetragrammaton. Okay, tetra four, <coughs> grammaton, essentially four letters there. The tetragrammaton. It is, it is the covenant name of God. It is the name God gave to Moses when he goes, who should I say is sending me? And God said, I am. He's sending you. I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. A seity, I have existence within myself. I am self-existent. I have been at all times. I am. And it has become translated, the Lord. How? how? Orthodox Jews. Is there a way to pronounce it? Nope. That's why they say the Lord. That's why instead of Yahweh or Jehovah. Is it a G? Is it... J-H-O-V, Jehovah, Yahweh, which one is it? I don't know. Some of them are so, I don't, I don't want to say picky, because that's, that's not right. They're so reverent about it, that if they're even going to spell Lord, some of them will go, to give it, to give God the worth that he is due, or if they are, Printing God. I, mean, I had a Messianic Jewish friend that worshipped in our church in Utah who did this. Yeah. But to the, to the Jew as he comes here, he's going to say, the Lord. The Lord. I have a question. Please. Why is saying the Lord, <clears throat> like, why can you say the Lord but you can't say Yahweh? Like, isn't it still another, like, Lord is another name for God? It is, but it's not, it's not the name he revealed himself to be to Moses. And God used a lot of names to reveal himself. All of the names that we have, the light of the world, the shepherd, the great shepherd, the king of kings, lord of lords, all of those things are God's revelation to us of who he is. The Lord... The Lord. You know, it, this is where it begins. This is, this is where Genesis begins. In the beginning, God. It all begins here. This is, if, if we don't have a, a right perspective here of who he is, we screw up everything. I mean, it, it must be the starting point really to every philosophical question. It must be the starting point to life. 
if, if, I don't, if I don't go, why is there anything? If I don't go to God, then I get goofy. I mean, we start getting goofy immediately. Economics. <coughs> God. In the beginning, God. The Lord. The, 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 the one who is high and lifted up. With regard to our entertainment. With regard to hunting. God pleased with this? I, sh- I should care. The Lord. The Lord, our God. Our God. Who's saying this? Moses. Moses. The adjective he is using to describe God? Our is who? Plural pronoun. Israel. Yeah. Plural pronoun. Israel. So it's Israel's God. Okay. You go... Yada. Now, is this an English class? No. But it's important what he's saying here. The Lord our God. So here, he is speaking to a people. Where did this people come from? From God's grace. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You know, they, they weren't until... Abraham, God went, and he, he started having sons, and his sons had sons, and sons, and sons, and, and then they got isolated in Egypt, and went, <coughs> grew into a nation. They became a nation in Egypt, and God rescued them out of bondage and slavery who our God our God you know we we in our country we get skittish about church and state religion now we can't can't have a national religion but what's God's word say God expects the nations to bow before him. Uh, Shauna, on your phone, uh, Psalm 46. Dave, in your paperback version, uh, Psalm 72. Kara, would you go to Isaiah 60? And these are, these are just a few of the boatload of verses that highlight that God cares about nations. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Okay. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the whole earth. Smaller to larger. In all of the earth. I will be exalted. Does he expect to be exalted in the nations? Yes. Absolutely. Psalm 72 verse 11. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Is that unclear? Well, it means ethnic people groups. Well, he's talking about kings too. May all kings do what? Ooh. 
does a king bow down to? Nobody. Except the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. Does God expect this? Absolutely. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. Okay, this will be in the day for Christ who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords and all nations will come to him. Um, Psalm 2, also uh, just a great psalm of the nations. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And it goes on from there. God expects even nations to bow before him. Woe to the nation that doesn't. Woe to the nation that calls good evil and evil good. That takes what God declares as holy and right and says, that is wrong. To take that which God says is an abomination and wickedness and says, and they say, this is, this is the way it is. This is the way it should be. This is good. So yes, the Lord, our God, Israel was a peculiar people. But <coughs> even though Israel was a peculiar people chosen by God, God still expects, and you see in the prophets as well, there are prophecies against specific nations for the way that they behave contrary to what God expects of them to deal in righteousness and justice. And they don't. The Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Okay. What's peculiar about God? It's not. It looks singular. It looks singular. Okay? It looks sing singular. And you know, it's 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 really a shame that somehow some way that even in the margins there can't be a nuance to that word because I mean, you guys all, you, you've seen the word Elohim, okay? What? Elohim. What is it? Which is plural. God. We translate that God. Okay. The I am suffix to a Hebrew word is plural. If you have a seraph, you have a majestic angelic being. If you have seraphim, you have many. You have a cherub, or you have cherubim. That makes so much. I did not know that that was. I can't believe I never thought of that. Was like Anak, a descendant of Anak, or you have the Anakim. So whenever you see the I am, you see a plurality. 
there. There's a plural. If I want to speak of God, I will speak of El. If I say Elohim, which is the word in the Hebrew text over and 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 over again, it's a plural. Did that not make the Jews ever scratch their head? Did they just go, where is this plurality in this unity? Because we're just, we're about to get to, the Lord is one. You go, uh, you've, you've created a verbal contradiction, a grammatical, you've, we know, I mean, we, we know our triune God. We know this plurality within this unity. But God has revealed himself even in the greatest statement for the Jews of who their God is. The Shema is what this is, is referred to, this, this statement. Sheen, Shaddai. Another name for God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay? The Lord is one. So, I mean, we, again, we should, we should giggle. We should get giddy when we read this because God is already revealing who he is in the language there. That there is something about him that is not lone. God is one. So he declares it. He doesn't explain it, which is really, in, in a lot of ways, a beautiful thing. So here, here at the start, we see just an extraordinary, exalted truth. And then he moves right into some extraordinary and high and exalted commandments. And he says, here he is. Here is God. What should you do? Uh, Caleb, would you read verse 5, please? Uh, 6. Yep. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Yep. What is the greatest commandment? That one right there. It's it is not to Bring 10% of your offering. It's not to sacrifice bulls and goats. The greatest, the greatest commandment is to love God. Love God. Um, and, and we go, okay, love, love the Lord. And we, we could probably quote this without looking at it. With all your heart, soul, with all your might. You know, we might throw mind and strength in there. We're going New Testament where all four are listed. So how, how would you tell a new believer who reads this and goes, how am I supposed to love God? How, how do I love God? What do you say to him? Others. Huh? Love others. Okay. Love others. So I have to do something. 
So I do things. I do things to love God. Yes. Okay. Okay. Shana is rethinking her answer. Well, I mean, you do. This is one of many answers that you can give, but it's not just doing things. I mean, because unless you consider like your (coughs) thoughts and your attitude as things. Okay, that is a thing. What should my thoughts and attitudes be toward God? Ah. You know, I don't. I don't know why. Well, come let us adore him has just been ricocheting in my head throughout this Christmas season. That's how I'm going to end the sermon today. Come let us adore him. No, we're not going to sing that song. But but to adore God, how how do I adore? I can't see him. The sight goes out. We walk by faith, not by sight. Blessed are those who... I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah. Does, does he exist? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, his fingerprints are everywhere, Sarah. Yeah. I just you can you cannot look at him, but you can look at what he has done mm-hmm. in creation and how he's worked through people and whatnot. And you see, you know, I think the things that I love are the things that I appreciate. And so, if I look for things about him that I appreciate, then I'm supposed to love him. So I think on one level it is looking. It may not be with physical eyes. But mm. You know, to, to, to love my wife because I have to, to do things because I have to, there's no love there, and she'll know it, and she'll feel it. Uh, in, in Desiring God, the, uh, he, Piper steals an example from another man who talks about giving a wife his wife arose. And you know, she goes, Oh, that's sweet. And he goes, Oh, it was my duty, I'm your husband. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's 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 meaningless. Is it your duty as your husband? Yes. It ought to be your joy. But yes! It should be my delight to give my wife roses because I love her. You know, that... Well, I actually got that from him. (laughs) (laughs) Your wife, your wife may not like roses, but you know her thing. You know, maybe maybe she likes to have her hand stroked, her hands rubbed. Uh, Maybe she likes... Uh, uh, um, a massage. Maybe uh, uh, she. Maybe she just wants to go sit in the tub for fifteen quiet minutes. Maybe reheat the water a couple of times. Maybe a half an hour. Um, 
But you do that because you delight in her. Oh, I mean, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And that's how, oh, she should be my joy and my treasure. Well, that should be my God. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And I should love God. Oh, honey, I love you. And I've never bought you a rose in my entire life. And I leave my socks on the floor and my underwear half, two feet in front of the dirty clothes basket. <laughs> and I just leave my dishes on the table and walk away. And, you know, do I love my wife? Oh, oh, I love you. Well, you're, you're a jerk. <coughs> you don't do those things to show that you love your wife. If we love God, if I truly do love him heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will... Do things. I will do things. I will keep his commandments. I will keep his commandments. The second great the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. But I can't do that if I don't get the first one right. I can only do that in that the love of God is so great in me that it splooshes out on other people. That it is my joy and my desire to serve others. You're keeping score, man. Did, 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 did. Although, I don't know, though, if you really, because really, are you doing it in love then, or are you just doing it? Because you're not really loving, you're just doing it to check off a box, which means you're not actually doing it at all. And this is why, this is why, this is the commandment that we should be adoring, and that Christ emphasizes, if you do love, you will. As evidence of, okay, it will be the outflowing. Uh, it's it's James chapter two, fleshed out. Okay, I'm, I'm going to show me your. I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you my faith by my works, because my faith and my love in the Lord God is going to whoosh out in. My obedience, my, my words and deeds. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Adore him, treasure him. If you don't, okay, now, what if I don't? What if, eh, I don't, I don't feel that. You know, I don't feel that toward God. You become callous and indifferent. Am I saved? Probably not. I think we sin and I think we can't. If it were a pattern, a lifelong pattern, then I think yes. Yeah. But even, you know, faithful Christians can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have dry periods. And, and, well, 
that's, that's a nice excusing term. I'm, I'm in a dry spell with the Lord. Now you're probably in sin. Now, why? Because you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, you're not finding Him as your satisfaction. You're not finding Him as your strength. You've, you've let go, and you're doing this all on your own. And, and, and we, we hit those dry spells. No, man, I, I need to treasure Him above all things. So, verse 6. Uh, Sarah. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay. What is the implication there? They stay with you? Yes. With you? Yes. Why would I not be in the Word daily? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I, is he my treasure? No. If he is not my treasure, then I'm probably not going to be in the Word. But if he is my treasure... You know, I, always, I, always, I don't know why I think of Adam's response to God bringing Eve. Isha. You know, Isha. She is, she's now born of my bone and flesh and my... Oh, wow, what a treasure. Oh, one like me. Oh. You know, again, as the deer pants for the water, really... Really? And you haven't been in the Word all week? I don't think so. Now, I'm not exhorting you to Pharisaicalism. Oh, you need to be, you know, need to be in the Word every day. Well, you do need to be in the Word every day. But not because I'm telling you you need to be in the Word every day, but because you want to be in the Word every day. You want to be with God. With God. Okay, let's hit some controversy here. Verse 7, Jeremy. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Ladies and gentlemen, you are supposed to indoctrinate your children. You are commanded of the living God to indoctrinate your child. I saw... As a grandfather, if, if you have the blessing of being a grandfather and you're just spoiling them rotten... You're telling them about Jesus. Ah, there's a treasure. I saw something this week that says, said a child has a point zero two nine six percent chance of becoming a pro athlete. 
0.0296%. He's got a 0.0086% chance of becoming a famous celebrity. He has a 100% chance of standing before Jesus Christ. Boom. Oh, he's on the traveling, 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 traveling soccer team. Not just the traveling soccer team. He's never home. We, who is supposed to train up our children? We are. May you delegate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing, there's nothing that, the, the, the onus here is the responsibility is yours. And so I am going to take the teaching they get upstairs. Have we delegated authority? Absolutely. Do we send them to classical conversations? Yes. Do we send them to public school? Yes. And whose responsibility is their training? Yours. And so I take what they get and I listen to it and I put it in proper orientation under the living God. When? All the time. That's what he says. Talk to them when they sit, when they walk, when you're walking, when you lie down, when you rise. The implication is always. When should God enter our conversation? Always. Anybody in here ever like stop a show in the middle of the show to talk? You know? See, it's, I mean, it's not just me. Sorry. Especially if I not things to say, like, this is not how actually, like, this is a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> this is not how we yes. do things. Yes, we do. Why do you, why do you freaks do this? <laughs> because you have to. Otherwise, your children, they think they see they're, they're indoctrinated by the world or they're indoctrinated by you. It's your responsibility yeah. to do this. I just want to chew for Okay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an ongoing conversation. This is discipline. This is positive discipline. This is training up our children in the way that they should go everywhere. Okay? These words have to be your priority. Look at, look at 8 and 9. You will bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses, and on your house and on your gates. Not many of us have houses. Um, okay. Is this literal? The Jews take it very literally. You know, the rabbis with the little thing. You'll see him with kind of a weird headband with a box. It's a frontlet. You know what's in the box? Scripture. 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 What good is it doing in? 
Not a lot. Other than he goes, I can see it, and it's a reminder. Okay, it's like, to put it in modern vernacular, tattoo it on your forehead. If you ever go to Israel, you're going to find these things stuck on the doorposts. No kidding. I wondered, what in the world? I'm getting there. That's good question. That's what the whole... The, the first one I saw was actually had this symbol on it, but it was in metal. And it kind of stuck out. And I thought it was like a doorbell. Like if you bling, bling, bling. No, that one, that one. It's called a mezuzah. The back of it is hollow. You know what's supposed to go in there? The shema. And then that letter, there is the sheen for Shaddai, the Lord. It goes there. It goes on your doorpost. And it goes crooked. And there's some reason it goes crooked. But the, the scripture can only be written by somebody who's authorized to write it in Hebrew properly. And then it goes in there and you bolt it to the side of your house. Why? So that when you enter your house and you leave your house, you are reminded of the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All over. Every, I mean, every door of the hotel had one. Every room had one. Going into it. Indoctrination. Uh, so the how much of a priority? Yes, it should be there all the time. And so that that is for us. These are exalted commandments for us to follow after God and to train up our children and to live this out day by day, moment by moment, all the time. These things must be on our hearts. And there's a consequence. <coughs> And, and we have seen this over and over again, and it's going to play out again. There's a consequence for doing and a consequence for not. And God is making this very clear to Israel in the next verses. Um, 10 and 11, Arnold. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou builtest not, and houses full of all good, all good things, which thou buildest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plowest not, when thou shalt have eaten. Okay, translated, if we translate that, what's he, what's, what's he describing here? You have plenty, but it wasn't by your own Yeah, you are going to. When you go in, this is, oh, by the way, this is going to happen. You're going to get cities that you didn't build. You're going to get a house you didn't build. You're going to get vineyards you didn't plant, didn't have to care for. They're ready-made. It's all coming right to you. I am going to bless you with all of these things. And it's going to be great. In a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. Emma, would you read 12 to 15? Then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God that you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go out after other gods, 
whether you gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God is in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Beware and be aware. How in the world can I forget? How can I forget? I mean, half of, half of yesterday is already gone. And we get busy and we toil and we forget. We forget, we forget the moments of the glory of the Lord. The, the radiance of Moses' face would diminish with the passing of time. We come in and I don't have to work for this. When I have to work, when I have nothing, when I have nothing, I have nothing to do but plead to God for the something. If I have no bread, I plead to God for bread. But if I go to the drawer and I've got, I've got a loaf of wheat bread and a loaf of white bread and we got pita bread and sourdough bread and we got bread and bread and bread. And, you know, I can go to the grocery store and get some more. Do I need God? Yes, for all of them. For all of them, yes, I need God. <clears throat> for everything. And it is so easy to forget Him. He commands us to fear Him, to serve Him. Oh. It, to, to see what they saw. Again, go back to the, the first generation to see what they saw and then for them to serve a golden calf. It's, it's almost some kind of bad literature where you go, some, nobody's going to do this. Nobody is going to have such an awareness, such a visible working of God is going to then go serve an idol. It's just, especially on, in such, they just came through this sea. They just saw the mountain shake. And they crafted an idol. Moses makes plain that God is a jealous God. I mean, he's in... There, there's some beauty there. He is in their midst. I'm not, a, I'm not a God who's not accessible. The tabernacle is with you. The pillar of cloud. The manna. I am with you. I am sustaining. I am going to provide for you. It's important for us to understand here that their relationship with him is contingent upon obedience. But that obedience is an act of faith. It is not their obedience that brings the merit, the pleasure of God. It is their faith and their trust in him 
in obedience. You'll see that fleshed out here a little bit later in the chapter. Chief, you mentioned that how could a nation, after going through such an event, turn their backs to a golden cow? And so the new scripture, when it says, all this has been done for your sake, Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. He had to have closed some of them so that they could do those acts. And God showed his mighty works through them until present. So that we could know that. And your is what you said, it's faith. Some are gonna believe even though they're walking through the walls of water. Yeah. And they're gonna just say, Wow, and then boom, Yes. It, it, it was an event that happened. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's the it's the passages we see in Hebrews. You know, of one who has tasted, who's come so far, what hope is is there for them if they turn away from the the living God? We're gonna sacrifice Christ again? There's nothing else. You know, uh, you know, this this awareness. I can have an awareness. Most of Israel had an awareness and they went, wow. This is really amazing. This is extraordinary. This is a great God. And we're his people until we disbelieve and we're dead in the desert. And Paul tells the Corinthian church, these things were written as an example for us. Yeah. For us today. We know that nothing can snatch us from his hand. That's what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that. How do I know I'm in his hand? You know, I I, I, I must persevere. I I, I pursue him. I, I thirst after him. I look to him. You know, he's going to use that exhortation. He knows that We're prone to forget as the laundry piles up and, oh, we got Christmas presents. Man, it's like two weeks of packing. Or we harden our hearts. Yeah. Things start going not our way and we get frustrated and stubborn and chuck the whole thing. Just a waste. It's a sham. We'll stop there at the end of 15. We'll pick up in verse 16 next week. Essentially, it's going to continue on the same theme, but really it anchors in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And oh, that we would love him with all our heart soul, mind, and strength, especially this Christmas season. It's going to dovetail with the sermon today. as I didn't plan it that way, but that's just how it works out so often. It's always, it's always comical <coughs> when, you know, I'll teach and then Jeremy will preach and you go, would they like compare notes? Like, no, it's just God's good work, God's good time. 